Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. In 2 Kings chapter number 4, if you found your place, I'll invite you to stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. And uh, 2 Kings chapter number 4, and I love this great story in the Word of God. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. Well, it's 2 Kings chapter number 4, verse number 1. The Bible says this, says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house. And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not of you. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and she she said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Our Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be in your house amongst your people tonight, God. In these difficult times, we don't take that for granted, and we don't take it lightly, Father. And I thank you for that opportunity. God, I pray that you would help us tonight, God, that you would clear our minds of everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on in our week, Father. And God, may we focus in on you for just a little while tonight, God. God, as I've prayed even before this service tonight, Lord, if you would, give us one tonight, one that will speak up and be a willing vessel for you this evening, Father. God, help us and touch us. Save that sinner close to hell. Restore the backslidden. And I'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Now, as we come into this passage of Scripture, we find a story that sounds kind of familiar. You say, how's that? We find a story about a widow woman with some oil and a problem. Now, if we remember back to 1 Kings chapter number 17, we find that Elijah was at the forefront of a similar situation there in 1 Kings 17, but now we find that Elijah's mantle bearer, Elisha, is going to get a dose of what Elijah had to deal with and was faced with. And let me just say that I admire the actions of this woman. You say, why is that? Because when she had a problem, she didn't run away from the man of God. She didn't run away from the preacher, and she didn't run away from church, but she ran to the man of God and to the church and to God when she had a problem. And can I say, when we're faced with troubles and trials, that probably be a real good place for us to start too, amen? And, but let's note a few things about this woman by way of introduction tonight. Let's note first that she was a weeping woman. You say, how do you get that? The Bible says, now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. 
She was a weeping woman. She had every right to be a weeping woman, as we'll find out here in a second. She was a weeping woman. Not just that, she was a widow woman. What did she tell Elisha? Saying, thy servant, my husband, is dead. Her husband is dead. She's a widow woman. Not only that, she was a worried woman. She was a worried woman. Why was she worried? Because the creditor had come to collect a debt that she did not have the money to pay and therefore took her sons to be bondsmen to pay off, to work off that debt. And so we find that she had every right to be a worried woman of what was getting ready to take place in her life. But then we see she was not a wealthy woman. She was not a wealthy woman. What did the Bible say? She said that she had not anything in her house save a pot of oil. That's all she had was a pot of oil. Now, to truly understand the application that we're going to make tonight, there's a few things that we must know. First of all, we must know that oil is a type and a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Second of all, we must understand that the vessels mentioned in this passage of Scripture are a picture of you and I that can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and be a vessel unto use for God. And so with that being said, uh, so we find Elisha instructs this woman to gather together these vessels, to fill them with the oil and pay her debt, and for her and her sons to live off of what's left over. As they do, as the man of God instructed, they find something miraculous happens. The oil just keeps pouring out into those vessels. And we find that we find that it was to the point that it filled all the vessels and they ran out of vessels. And these words are uttered I want us to look at tonight and focus in on. She asked her son, said, bring me another vessel. And he said this, there is not a vessel more. There is not a vessel more. And I want to take that little simple thought and focus in on that tonight, on there is not a vessel more. Now, my earnest prayer for this service tonight is simply this. God, give us one. Give us one that will give you their vessel to be used by you that you can do a work in their hearts and in their life and use them to do something great. And let's look at a few things tonight. I think it's safe to say in studying this that these vessels are of the utmost importance. It was the tool that God was using to do a great work in this woman's life. And so I want to show you just a few things about these vessels tonight in hopes that there will be somebody who will sell out and give God their vessel tonight. Let's note first the appraisal of these vessels. The appraisal of these vessels. Look what the Bible said in verse number 3. He said, then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad. So we see that these were abroad vessels. They were vessels abroad. What does that mean? Notice when Elijah instructs this lady to gather these vessels, he did not once put a stipulation for these vessels. He just said, gather vessels abroad. Now, I've got a very overactive imagination, so you're just going to have to lend me your imagination for a little while tonight. But I can't help but think that as those harvest of vessels begin to come in, that they did not all look exactly the same. There were probably some big vessels, some small vessels, some tall vessels, some short vessels, some with handles, some without, some cheap vessels, some that were more expensive, some immaculate, some in ruin, tattered and even maybe broken vessels. Now... You say, what's that got to do with things? That is, what an application that serves in our life that no matter what walk of life we've been through, that no matter what our past is like, that no matter what we've been through, that we can be a vessel that God can use, that we can be used of God no matter where we come from. 
Even if we've been broken, even if we've been in ruin, even if the walls of life are closing in around us, we can still have an opportunity to serve God effectively and be filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And what a blessing that is to know that no matter where we've come from, no matter how bad we think that we have done, that there's a God in heaven that after you get saved and born again, that he can use you to do something great. For he is, he doesn't have to use you, but he wants to use you. He wants to use you to do something great. Brother Robert, you remind me to get that watch, amen. I've, I've left two at churches in the past, amen. So remind me to get that one. But we see that we see that you can be used no matter where you come from, what you've been through, what's going on in your life. God can fill you with the Holy Spirit and you can, you, you can be used effectively in the work of God. And what a blessing that is to know. Because I think about what the Lord's taught us to do and going into those juvenile detention centers and in those public schools where moral depravity is at an all-time high, where the rise of liberalism has took off and the mess and the junk that they're teaching in the public school system about, our hist about their version of our history and things that have took place, it's absolute garbage. Amen? Amen? And we find that, we find that there are going to be people that buy into all of that. And when they buy into all of that, they're, 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 it, it, it's just a mess. And we must realize that not only are the public schools in a mess, but then we think about those individuals, those young people that are incarcerated. Now, did you know that the youngest age of an individual that can be incarcerated in the United States is eight years old? Did you know that? And did you know that I've met an eight-year-old incarcerated in South Carolina two years ago? He's 10 now. I don't know if he's still in the system. I don't know what the deal is. But when you sit and you think about an eight-year-old that's incarcerated, what a walk of life that must have been. And you think about the life that they had to, you say, who do you blame for that upbringing? We could blame so many things. We could blame social media. We could blame the media. But in that situation, I really, I really like to put the blame on the parents, amen, if I'm being real honest with you. And, and can I just say this? I don't have children, so I'm not going to preach on how to raise your kids, amen. I'm smarter than that. But there are still some things that, listen, that the Bible says that you can raise your children by the Word of God to look like they believe the Word of God, to look like Christians, to act like Christians, to practice Christian character and moral ethics in this world, that's still all right, amen? And that's still just fine. I think about, I think about the state of our young people in the day and age. You see them running around all over town, and you think, where are their parents? Where are their parents? Where are the parents at? Now, about the first time I got out of line... My daddy may not have always been a saved man, and he beat me like an unsaved man, amen? But no, he got right with the Lord before the Lord caught him on. But I think about this. I didn't get to run around like some juvenile delinquent. I got kept on a short leash, on a real short leash. But you look at what's going on today, and can I say, if you'll let your kid run around, God knows where, where God knows who, you are crippled too high for crutches, amen? Because you don't ever know what the temptation that the devil can put in front of them that, that can absolutely alter their life and ruin their life forever. One decision away to land them in the same situation as that eight-year-old boy there in Columbia. And I, I, I've heard it so many times of individuals that were guilty by association that's incarcerated. Simply they were, they were hanging around with the wrong people 
at the wrong time. So that's why we must be careful. But back to the message, that's message number one. I won't charge you nothing for that, amen? But we see, back to what I was saying, that individual that's eight years old, that's incarcerated, what a walk of life that must be. And to know that even though they might have messed up at a young age, that God can still change their life and can still use them to do something effectively, no matter how heinous, no matter how bad what they have done is. And what an amazing God we serve that he'll use even broken, ruined vessels, vessels that are come from nothing, that are tattered, that he'll use them to do something great in the work of God. What a blessing and a privilege it is. What a blessing it was on Sunday to have one of our van kids get saved. Amen. What a blessing that is. Man, it bring, it, I don't know about the rest of you, but it, it hit real close to home for me. And it was real good to know that. And I can't help but think about that feeling I felt that day I got saved in youth church. And that day that I come in on the van route, and little did they know I ain't slept in a week because I come for the first time the week before, and I wouldn't go to children's church because I didn't want to leave Josh and Bridget's side. So I sat in here with the preacher, and the preacher Luke preached out of Luke 16 that morning and scared me half to death. And I didn't hardly sleep for a week, and then I went to youth church, and then I got to hear about this awful place the week before. And then I got it broke down level by level the next week of how I could not go there. And how I could escape that awful place. And got saved and born again. And just the feeling that changed my life that day. And what a blessing that is. You say, was there a change that took place even at that young? Yeah, there was a change that took place that, even that day. Uh, God will make a change. But... I will say this, we've got it twisted. We think an individual gets saved and born again and that they ought to be cleaned up and look just like us the next day. And that's just not the case. God did not clean us up overnight. He's not going to clean them up overnight either. He will make a change in their life. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit that dwells in them work and do his work, he will clean them up and he will do a great work in their life. So these vessels, they were, they were vessels abroad. They were from every walk of life. They were from every household surely not only were these broad vessels but these were borrowed vessels borrowed vessels what he's saying verse number three go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors these vessels were borrowed from their neighbors and now that may not seem like a whole lot but think about this that meant that somebody had to give something up their vessel so that something could be accomplished for the work of God. They had to give their vessel up so that something could be accomplished. And in the work of God, if you're ever going to do anything for God, ever going to accomplish anything for God, you may have to sacrifice some things. I said it Sunday night and I'll say it again, you may not be able to run all over the country chasing a ball team. Amen? You may not be able to run all over the country chasing your favorite evangelist and your favorite gospel singer. You say, why is that? Because if you're going to sell out and serve God, you're going to get plugged in in the local church and you're going to find something to do in the local church, amen? And you're going to be faithful to that and faithful to do that. So we see, you may have to sacrifice some things. There may be some individuals you can't hang around no more. You know why? Because they don't line up with how you line up. There may be some family that you have to cut off. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, amen? But there may be some family that you have to cut off so that you, because of how you stand, because of where you stand, because of the biblical principles that you try to apply in your life when you're going to be right with God and do something 
in the work of God and allowed God to do something through you. And so God may ask you to sacrifice some things. The great preacher of yesteryear, Jonathan Edwards, said this once. It's recorded that he prayed once and said, God, if I give you Jonathan Edwards, will you give me New England? And what a powerful prayer that is. And you'll find that he gave God Jonathan Edwards and God used him to touch that part of the country. And that's the, he's probably a big part of why there's even a remnant of Christianity left in that part of the country. It's because of his influence. Now, I wonder if there was somebody tonight that would find themselves in an altar at some point and say, what would happen if they would say, God, if I'd give you me, would you give me my lost loved one? Would you let me see them get saved? God, if I'd give you me, would you let me see our community reached for the cause of Christ? God, if I give you me, would you allow me to do something for you? The problem is we don't ever do that. Amen. We spend so much time wanting to be used by God that we forget to pray and ask God to make us usable. Uh, this has nothing to do with the message, but I, th I can't help but think about those vessels. Before they were ever usable, they had to be shaped and molded by that potter. They had to be made right. They had to be shaped out. And they had to be made usable before they could be used for anything. That ties right in. I might put that in there. But they had to be made usable. And it would do us all a lot of good sometimes before we start saying, God, would you use me to do this? God, would you let me do this? And God, would you let me do that? To say, God, would you make me usable so that I can do this? It would do us all a lot of good. A lot of times we like to put the cart before the horse. We try to do the work of God without the God of the work. And if we're not careful, that'll fall flat every single time. But in the work of God, you may have to sacrifice some things to see something accomplished. These individuals had to sacrifice their vessels. I think about what would happen if all of these neighbors that these boys visited had said no, had declined. This would have been a very different story that we would be reading this evening. You'll find if they said, no, I believe I'm going to hold on to my vessel. I believe I'm going to put it in the corner and use it as an ashtray or a flower pot, amen, whatever. If they'd have held on to it. They'd have missed out on the great blessing, the miracle that God was going to perform and allow to be recorded in the Word of God. And they got to be a part of that. Why? Because they sacrificed their vessel. They got to be a part of something great that God did because they were willing to give up their vessel to be used. You may have to sacrifice some things in the cause of Christ. They were broad vessels. They were borrowed vessels. But not just that, they were barren vessels. Notice what he said in verse number 3, the latter part. He said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Watch this. Even empty vessels. You say, what's that got to do with that? It goes without saying, before you can be filled, you've got to be empty. The Bible tells us that we must decrease so that he can increase. We've got to get ourselves out of the way before anything can be accomplished. We've got to empty ourselves of ourselves. Get ourselves, our desires, what we want, our, our plans out of the way so that God could be used. We've got to be empty before we can be filled. 
you got to get to the point in your life where you are empty of yourself, and the only thing that matters is allowing God to have full reign in your life and seeing him do something great in your life. I, I almost preached this tonight, but I didn't. In Psalms 34, you'll find that Psalmist David is, you'll, if you study it out, he's hiding from Saul in the cave of Dullam. And you'll find that he was joined by 400 men there. And they were all there because they were discontented and in debt and they were in danger. And the only words of advice that David had to offer them was, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I begin to study that little word magnify. And when you look at that word magnify, it's got a dual meaning. The first of those meaning means to allow something to grow up. You say, what does that mean? When he said, oh, magnify the Lord with me, he meant to let the Lord grow up to the point that it towered over everything else in his life. How do you illustrate that? You ever been standing in a cornfield? Corn mazes are a big deal this time of year, amen? I went through one, two Saturdays ago, and I just about got aggravated and wanted to run through it, amen? I have no patience. Y'all pray for me because I'm not going to pray for patience, so y'all pray for me. But we see, that, we see that what happens is we have to allow God to grow up to the point that he's all we can see, all we focus on. He overshadows everything else in our life. And that's one meaning of the word magnify is to grow up. The other meaning is to bring up. You say, what does that mean? You ever had a mirror in your bathroom that one side it was a normal mirror and the other side it was magnified? On the one side, the normal side, you can see everything that's going on behind you. You can see everything in your surroundings. But when you flip it over to the magnified side, all you can see is what it's focused upon. And that's another meaning of the word magnify, is to bring God up to that point that he's the only thing you can focus on. That you can't see the storm and the problem and the trouble and trial that's going around. All you can see is him. And so there will have to get to that point to where we've emptied ourselves of ourselves and magnified God to the point that he's all we can focus on, that he's all we can see, and that all we long for is to be used by God. And that's where we have to get to. Have you ever got empty, ever been broken, that God is the only one that can do a work in your situation? Have you ever had something that's come up in your life where you found yourself, you say, Lord, if you don't do something in this situation, I don't know what to do. Lord, you're the, I, I've exhausted every effort. I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything in my power, but now I'm turning it over to you. And you have to get yourself out of the way and turn it wholly, full-heartedly over to God and let him take care of the situation. That's what I'm talking about. We'll have to be a barren vessel if we're going to be used by God. So we see the appraisal of the vessels, not only the appraisal of the vessels, but we see the abundance of these vessels. The abundance of these vessels. Look with me back in verse number 3. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Watch this. Borrow not a few. Borrow not a few. There was an abundance of vessels. So I got to thinking, and I often wondered to myself, why Elisha instructed them to borrow not a few? The answer is a lot simpler than I was trying to look at. If we're not careful, we'll, let's, we'll try to get in the deep water that will miss the blessing that's in the shallow end. Amen? 
But we see it's very practical. One couldn't get the job done. That's just the practical answer. Why did they borrow not a few? Because one couldn't get the job done. It was going to take more than one to accomplish that work. We should apply that to our lives and to our churches today more than anything. In so many cases, so many churches that the Lord allows us to be a part of, there's just one person or just a handful of people that does everything. A lot of times that one person is the pastor, amen? And we see that, we see that if we're ever going to see a true move of God, it's going to take the blood-bought church of God coming together and seeking God and getting filled with the Holy Ghost and all coming together in unity and dwelling in unity. Why, why, earnestly, you want to know why I think we're not seeing a great move of God? It's simple. It's because we're too busy bickering at each other. And COVID has just enhanced that. Every pastor thinks that they've got the perfect way to battle the pandemic and to take care of things and how they think it should be. But you know what? At the end of the day, we need to realize that God put that pastor as the under-shepherd, amen, and that they have to give an account for it and not us, Amen. And so it's up to us to just dwell together in unity. I've got to the point now I go to some churches and some pastors will start in on, on I can't believe this church is doing such and such, and I just go, mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what you got to do, just, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? It's Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Listen, I know it's Wednesday night, but you can smile, Okay. But there's an abundance of vessels. Abundance of vessels. One couldn't get the job done by itself. Whether you want to admit it or not, we need each other. We need each other. You may not like me, but I promise I love all y'all, so y'all just stuck with me. You know why? Because we're going to heaven together. Hallelujah. And I'm going to stand beside you and shout, amen, in heaven. But we need each other. We need that fellowship. We need that Assembling. That's one thing that I hated about online church was not being physically assembled together and having that sense of fellowship, even if it was in the parking lot, even if it was just flashing your lights or throwing your hand up, just that sense of fellowship, that sense of fellowship. And I have absolutely loved, you know, getting to get together. And last Sunday when we had pastor appreciation, we were able to go down there and laugh and cut up and have a good time. We need that. Fellowship is important. And whether we want to admit it or not, we need each other. It's going to take more than one to get the job done. I'm just going to be real honest with you. The people in leadership can't do it all by themselves. Sunday school teachers can't do it all by themselves. Deacons and the pastor can't do it all by themselves. But it's going to take all of us, a cooperative effort to accomplish something. And so there had to be an abundance of those vessels. One just couldn't do it. And then I'll give you this, and I'll settle in here for just a little while tonight. We've looked at the appraisal of these vessels, that they were abroad vessels, they were borrowed vessels, they were barren vessels, the abundance of the vessels. They said borrow not a few, but then we get to this, the absence of the vessels. The absence of vessels. So we find that now they enter into the house with these vessels to be filled. They shut the door. I often thought to myself why God told them to shut, why Elisha told them to shut the door. 
It's simple. If God's doing something, you don't have to advertise it. He'll advertise it himself. Amen. As we post our revival flyers on Facebook. Amen. But anyways, if God's doing something, it don't have to be advertised. He can do it himself. Amen. But then they find themselves that they begin to fill up vessels. And can I say that oil would still be pouring abundantly out today, I believe, if the vessels would have not have ceased. That was good English. But we see that we see that I believe earnestly, as much as I'm standing right here, that if the vessels would have not have stopped coming, that, that oil would still be pouring out. That God would still be doing the work there. You say, why is that? Because it wasn't the oil that changed. Matter of fact, the oil can't change. Somebody needs to get on board and say amen. Oil is a type of picture of the Holy Spirit of God. The oil can't change. He said, for I am the Lord, I change not. He, the oil can't change. So it wasn't the oil that had changed. But we find they go in, they shut the door, they fill those vessels full, and then they get to a point where they have run out of vessels. And they said, their mama said, bring me another vessel. And the son said, well, we don't have no more vessels. There's not a vessel more. And then it says, and the oil stayed. The oil did stay, but the oil only stayed because the vessel ceased. That's the only reason that the oil stayed. It's because the vessel ceased. Why do I think it is that we're not seeing God move? Why do I think it is that we're not seeing great revivals like of yesteryear? It's simple. There's no vessels. There's no vessels. The oil's not changed. The oil has stayed, but the oil has only stayed because the vessel ceased. Because individuals are not right with God. They're not doing, there's not excitement about it no more. Nobody wants to see a move of God anymore. It would, I've been in a few different churches where I've preached and I asked the question, how many in here truly wants to do something for the Lord in these days? And I bet I can count on one hand the number of people in all three churches that raise their hand. Amen. It's sad. Sad state that we're in. The oil has stayed because the vessels have ceased. There's nobody that's saying, Lord, here's my vessel. Do something with my vessel. The oil hasn't changed because the oil can't change. He said, I'm the Lord God, I change not. People may change. Pastures may change. Problems may come. Troubles come and dynasties rise and fall. Administrations and politicians wobble on the shaft. But one thing that is certain is that God is still the same and always will be. And if you'll give God your vessel, there's still an abundant, never-failing fountain of grace, mercy, and power that can still accomplish great things. So it's not the oil that ceased. The oil stayed because the vessel ceased. So I wonder if there's anyone willing to be a vessel and let God use you. Let God fill you and use you. We spend so much time saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah or Elisha? When we should be saying, where are the Elishas of the Lord God? That's what we ought to be saying. We spend around saying, God, where are you? When God should be saying, where are you? Where are you at? If the Lord don't change my mind, on Sunday morning I'm going to preach on Lot. 
you'll find that Lot set his tent up facing towards Sodom. And the thought is this. Which way is your house aiming? Which way is your house aiming? That tells a lot about what's going on right here. You study that, that story of Lot and everything that took place, and I, I've been looking at it, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's sad. At one point in time, the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man. But Lot messed up. Those Sodomites come in, and, and, and people off Sodom, Sodomites come in, and you'll find that, you'll find that in one verse, he's saying, the men of Sodom. But in the next verse, he's calling them brethren. His associations. He got shacked up with sin. When he got shacked up with sin, his home was facing the wrong way. It's facing the wrong things. And we'll never see a move of God. The oil will never quit staying if we're not focused in. If we're not centered on doing something for God, if we're not willing to say, God... Here's my vessel. I'm going to get myself out of the way and you do something with it. Who's going to let God use them? I want to tell you a story, and I might have told it here, and I don't know, but, but if I have, it's still good, and my wife is going to roll her eyes because she's heard it 700 times because when you have a husband that's a preacher, he uses a lot of the same illustrations, amen. But how many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of William Borden? Maybe you've not heard of him. But I bet if you've went to the grocery store, you've seen Borden cheese, Borden dairy, Borden milk. This is the son of the family that, that is that company, Borden Dairy Products. You'll find that William Borden graduated top of his class in high school. When he graduated, for his graduation present, his family sent him on a trip around the world. Over 40 countries William Borden would visit while gone on that trip. His family wanted him to have a good time. He worked so hard through school and done so good, so he went on that trip to come back home. But little did his parents know that while on that trip, God would begin to burden William Borden's heart for missions, and God would place a call upon William Borden's life to be a missionary to the Muslim people. Well, he comes back home. He expresses that to his family and says, God has called me to be a missionary to the Muslims. And, of course, his parents do what any of you would do. They were concerned about their boy. They're like, William, listen, you can work for us. You can have all the wealth you want. We've got a great family business. Just come work for us. You can take over this great empire and live, for, live forever off of it till you die, and everything will be great. But he said, no. The Lord has called me to be a missionary to the Muslim. There's nothing that's going to hold me back from that. You'll find that somebody recorded that that night, in the flyleaf of his Bible, William Borden penned the words, no reserves. No reserves. He had let the reserves down. He was going to do what God had taught him to do. Well, his family had one request, that he go to college and at least finish college. Obeying his father and his mother and honoring their wishes, he attends Princeton University and graduates top of his class once again from Princeton. Four years later, after he graduates from Princeton, Everybody has got their eye on William Borden. CEOs are coming to him, William Borden, come work for us. We'll give you a great salary. We'll give you a housing allowance. We'll take care of you. You won't have to worry about nothing. Just come work for us. You're a Borden. You've got a great reference right there. Come work for us. Everything will be great. He said, no, I can't do it because God has called me 
be a missionary to the Muslim people. And somewhere around that time, he pulled out that Bible, and underneath the words, no reserves, he penned the words, no retreats. No retreats. I'm not turning back from what God called me to do. Well, the day come for William Borden to leave for the mission field. His plan was to leave, make a stop in China, and learn the language before going on in to the Middle East to reach the Muslim people. And you'll find that while they're in China, William Borden contracted bacterial meningitis and died at the age of 24 before he ever made it to the field. But right before he died, he pulled out that same Bible that got him through all his troubles and all his trials and settled all of his doubts. And under the words, no reserves, and under the words, no retreats, he penned these two words, no regrets. Now, why is it that William Borden, 24 years old, got his whole life ahead of him? Everything's going great. God would call him home. He was surrendered to be a missionary. God would call him home before he ever got to the field. Why was he able to say no reserves, no retreats, no regret? It's simple. Because there was a day in his life that he said, God, here's my vessel. Lord, here's my vessel. If you can do something with it, do something with it. God, I, I can't do it in my own power, but if you can do something with this tattered, broken, ruined vessel, if you can fill it with your spirit and do something with it, then do something with it. And that's what it takes. I assure you that there is no more calming, more peaceful place you could ever live than in the perfect will of God. In the perfect will of God for your life, for everything, there's no greater place you could live. So, as I'm bringing this thing in for a landing this evening, I want to ask you, very important question. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've said, God, here it is. Here's my vessel. Do you something with it if you can do something with it. God, here it is. Here, here's, I don't have much to offer, but Lord, here's every bit of what I do have. And if you can do something with it, then do something with it. If not, tonight would be a great night for that to accomplish. I think about my life throughout the short time that I've been around. And I think about everything that had to line up, that God had to orchestrate for it to end up exactly the way that it is right now in the will of God. Blows my mind. I know we laugh and pitch about it, but from getting up to sing at Welcome Valley, and saying, excuse me, I need to chaff. Man, y'all would get to ask Brother Heath about that after service. He'll tell you all about it. Two, Josh having to surrender to preach and start driving a church van and inviting us and coming to pitch us up, and then later Randy and Don would take over that route as he went out to pasture and would come and bring us. Everything that had to be lined up and orchestrated. But I don't believe it would have ever took place Everything that's happening now, I would not have received the full blessing that God has given me if there wouldn't have been a day when I was 15 years old 
getting ready to turn 16, that I found myself in an altar and said, God, here it is. If you can do something with it, do something with it. Other than the day I got saved, the day I got married, I'm covering all my bases, amen? Greatest day of my life. Day when you say, Lord, here's everything. Lord, here's my vessel. It's not much. It's tattered. It's broken. But here it is. Lord, here's, here's my money. Lord, here's, here's everything that you've given me. I'm giving it back to you. And if you can do something with this, I'm emptying myself of myself. And if there's never been a time that you've ever done that, tonight would be a good night to do that. And you may say, preacher, I, I, I just I don't know that I can sacrifice those things that I'm going to have to sacrifice to live sold out to God. I promise you it's worth it. It's worth it. You won't miss it in the end. You may miss it for a little. You say, why? Because there's pleasure in sin. But the Bible says it's for a season. It's for a season. Now, me, my overactive imagination, I, I like to think those seasons like North Carolina seasons. Amen. They change like that. There's no, well, that was supposed to be funny. But anyways, moving on. There's got to be that time. Getting saved and sitting on a church pew ain't all there is to it. That's a great place to start, amen. But that's not where it should end up. There ought to be a time where you sold out, surrendered, do something for God. God will do a work in you. The work he does for us is salvation. We, the only part we had in salvation was receiving him as our Savior. That's the work he does for us. The work he does in us is sanctification. And that'll take place if you get saved. He said, if any man be in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And he'll make that change in your life if you've been saved and born again. But the work he does through us is service. And it's a threefold part of living the Christian life. I don't know about the rest of it, but I don't want to just do it halfway. I think back about my life, and I've done so many things halfway, so many things I've started and not finished, and so many things that I wish I could go back and change. And you know what? At the end of the day, there's no rewind button. We can press and change it. But you know what we can do from this day forward? We can say, Lord, here it is. Let you orchestrate everything. Remove myself from the equation and let you do something with my vessel.